Lord, we come before you this morning with your song on our lips, with these scriptural accounts of people seeing and experiencing your glory. Lord, we pray that you would show us your glory, that we would, we would come into your presence in such beautiful ways that we are transformed by your power and by your awesomeness, that we, we couldn't look at life the same way or continue going on living as we have in the past. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we consider transfiguration, the transfiguration of Jesus. We ask that you would speak to each one of us. And Lord, anything that I say that is of you, pray that we would apply to our hearts. And anything I say that is, is just of me and not of you, we would forget forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Transfiguration is an interesting account in Scripture. There's, there's not a lot like it in the Scriptures. Um, and there are a few things that you know, we're going to consider that we can sort of take away uh, from transfiguration, things that we can apply to our lives, things that we can learn about transfiguration, and you know, maybe what the people who were there to see it were thinking and, and experiencing. And so I'm inviting you as we look at these scriptures together um, you know, to look at it from the historical point of view, but also put yourself in the shoes of Peter, James, and John, who were there present with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and see how the Lord speaks to you about that. Uh, that word for transfiguration is, is metamorphosis, translated into our language. You know, whenever I think of metamorphosis, I think about, you know, do you ever accidentally squish a chrysalis? Like, the goo that comes out looks nothing like the beautiful butterfly if it hadn't been squished. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a tremendous transfiguration that occurs there. You've got this, you know, little... Caterpillar. I think the only reason that we think caterpillars are beautiful is because we know what they turn into, you know. But God loves us even while we're still the caterpillar, right? Before we're transformed into what He would have us be into. But that's a sermon for another day. Um, but that that same transfiguration is the same word metamorphosis. When we see the other scriptures that talk about how our lives are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, who resurrected Jesus Christ. That same power that transforms us, that word for transformation is the same one that's used here in the case of transfiguration. So, think about it for a minute. You've got Peter, James, and John. Jesus says, come on up, we're going to go for a hike. <laughs> and they get up there, and I mean, they've known Jesus. They've walked with him. They've seen his ministry. I mean, yeah, they've known you know, his, uh, his earthly ministry. They've seen the, the power for transformation. They've seen... All these miracles and these signs and these wonders and things, but he's still Jesus. They probably smelled him if they walked behind him, right? I mean, he was fully man and fully God. And now they're confronted with the glory of God in Jesus. Like that must have been mind-blowing for them. And, I, and clearly it was because in, in the Mark account it says that they didn't even know what to do because they were terrified. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, so, so looking at this, there's a few sort of things we can we can look at from a, a high level view. You know, it's no mistake that Moses and, and Elijah should appear with Jesus to talk with him and to help prepare him for what is coming. Right? Moses represents the law. Elijah, the prophets, 
And we know from Scripture that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Okay? So, um, Jesus is not equal to or subservient of the law and the prophets. He is God's cornerstone of redemptive work to restore all things. And he is about to set his face to Jerusalem to be about those final acts in his life and in his work. Um, so God reveals himself to us in the law, right? And he calls us to repentance in the prophets. And in the fullness of time, he sends his son Jesus to complete the work of redemption. And in this, we have beautiful evidence of the meta-narrative of God's work. You know, we, we probably bump into people and, and maybe we wrestle with it ourselves who have a hard time justifying man, the Old Testament seems so nothing like the New Testament. And is that some kind of a different God, an angry, vengeful one? And then we've got, you know, Jesus, my buddy, in the New Testament here. But it's the same God. It's the same story of redemption all the way through. And if we look at Scripture, we will see Jesus present in the Old Testament before he's incarnate. And this is just one more piece of evidence of the tying together of God's plan, letting us see this meta-narrative, you know, the big picture story, um, that God had a plan all the way from uh, in the garden, all the way to Jesus' death and resurrection, and all the way to his coming again and, and the making new of all things. So we understand that Jesus completes the law and the prophets. We also understand that Jesus is being prepared for the next events to come in his earthly life. If we look at the account in the Gospel of Luke of this, which we're about to do, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, um, you can do that. It's in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. It starts and... Um, in verse 30 it says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Who had appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Okay? So I find it interesting that the, the uh, guys that were there knew it was Moses and Elijah, even though they couldn't, like, Google their faces and see what they looked like. It was clear to them who this was. There was no, no question. The gospel accounts all agree, um, as is not surprising with God's witness in Holy Scripture. But... The point here is that they were talking with Jesus about his departure and all those things that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Um, you know, in the Matthew account, right before the transfiguration, Jesus is foretelling his death and his resurrection to the disciples. He's telling them about what's about to happen. And it's right after that that they head up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And the reaction of Peter is interesting, right? Peter, it says, pulls Jesus aside, the Lord of all creation, you know, the one present at yeah, right? <laughs> and says, Jesus, God forbid it. What are you talking about? This is not going to happen. And then Jesus' reaction is, is a real shocker. Right? He says, get behind me, Satan, you know, because you're setting your things on this world, not things above. And then it's right up to the Mount of Transfiguration. So... You know, Jesus is talking with his disciples about this. He's preparing them for what's going to happen. He's talking through it himself. I mean, we know very well that Jesus has a very human side to him in all of this. Just look at when he went and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And, and um, you know, he was really wrestling with that. And 
I think it's probably reasonable to think that maybe he was starting to think about it a little here too, you know? And so he gets up on the mountain and that glory that he laid down to come and be with us, he once again appears in. That must have been a restorative thing for Jesus in some respects too, um, to have, have that experience up there. And it was probably also very confirming uh, for Peter, James, and John to see this happen up there. You know, they've known Jesus, they've walked with him, they've heard about his glory, he's talked about it, and they've seen his miracles and his signs and his wonders. And they've sat under his teaching, and, you know, they've been apprenticing with him. They've really been learning with and from Jesus. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer and die, he's going to be betrayed, and he's trying to prepare them for that. And Peter, James, and John, as we all know, have a significant future in the church and in, in the um, development and uh, in the, just, you know, the church going out and spreading into all the world, right? And so they have this experience of seeing Jesus in his glory, and it has a lasting effect on them. Uh, you know, Peter even writes about it later, 30 years later. He's writing about it and reminding of the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory of Jesus and uh, it was a pivotal moment for them. They see God's glory, and they can't go on being the same. This is a moment where the transcendence and glory of God is experienced in tangible, physically discernible ways. Like, we all can give intellectual assent to the glory of God. But how many of us have been blown away by it, or experienced it, or, you know, like Moses up on um, Sinai seeing the backside of God? Right? Because he couldn't see his face and live. That kind of glory, that kind of awesomeness. As I was thinking about this, I was just trying to say, how do I, is there anything in my life I can compare this to in some respects? And I love lightning. I don't know. I, I love a good thunderstorm. I like to stand outside until the last possible moment. You know, and where I live, I can see the hills off to the west. I can see the storm coming and the lightning hitting the hills as it's coming in. And, you know, Kristen standing on the porch saying, get inside! What are you doing? <laughs> I got some great video of some clouds actually rotating above our house this past uh, late summer, early fall. It was awesome. You know, I, I love to see the photos that people take of lightning. I love to learn about lightning and all this stuff. And it's a very different thing, though, when... Uh, you know, right after we were married, our house was struck by lightning three times in a matter of about two minutes. You know, the first one nuked the dog run that was tied to the house. It cooked it into little four-inch pieces and laid it on the ground and blew up a post on our porch. Um, the second strike, I don't remember, did something else, but all the electrical things in the house were whirring and popping. And uh, then the third strike, we could see a green haze in the air of the house, inside. And uh, I just grabbed Kristen, who was pregnant with Noah at the time, and threw her on the ground, and, and just in an instant tried to do whatever I could to protect her. And the lightning hit, and it lit our gas lines on fire in the basement. It was a wild time, you know? So, <laughs> more about that later. <laughs> but I guess the point I'm trying to get at is we can learn about God's glory. And we can read about it, and we can read the scriptural accounts of it, and that sort of thing. 
But until we are in the presence of God's glory and we have this experience where we don't know if we're going to live or die and our hair is standing on end. Like, wow. Can you imagine? And that's what they experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe we'll experience that in our lives. Maybe it's going to be when we stand in God's presence forever. But we are going to have that. We are going to experience that. And what a life-transforming, amazing... Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. It's going to be wonderful. So, Peter, let's set up three habitations. Let's make three tents. <laughs> Seems like a good idea at the time. He's a very practical fellow. But... The way Mark describes it is they were terrified and didn't know what to do, so Peter blurts. <laughs> Anybody guilty of blurting? <laughs> right? He doesn't want it to end. He wants to stay up there. He has seen the glory of God. He's seen Moses. He's seen Elijah and Jesus. His mind is blown. People that, he, even though they were long dead, oh my goodness, look at this. I've read about it. I've learned about it. And here they are. He doesn't want it to end. It was all making sense. It was coming together. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the completion of the law and the prophets in the glory of God. And Peter's there, and James and John, like the dream team. They're all together seeing all this, right? Who wouldn't want to stay there with God on the mountain? But the work of the Lord, as we see in the scriptural accounts, is in bringing the kingdom of God into the valleys. Look what Jesus does immediately after the transfiguration. Okay, in um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 14, there's a boy with demons who is delivered and healed immediately after that mount of transfiguration. He's right back down into it. So, what about us? <laughs> right? I always try to find some application that the Lord would, would share with us for, for some of these things. And <clears throat> so we know that this is the law and the prophets all wrapped up and completed in Jesus. Uh, we know that Jesus is being prepared uh, for what is coming. Down in the valley faces the most depraved forces of evil and darkness and death. And just the beginning of it is healing this boy who was possessed with demons. We know that all of hell roared when Jesus died. And that's what he was setting his face towards. That's what he was heading to. And so like the disciples, we can be reminded of his glory and we might want to stay in that spot. But we are called to carry that transforming work of Jesus Christ to those who don't know. We are called to get off the mountain and go into those valleys and into the sewers of sin and depravity and into those dark places and carry the light and the truth of the gospel to bring Jesus to the people and the people to Jesus. So Jesus was starting his road to Jerusalem. And this week, we start our journey as we walk with him through the season of Lent. And so as we come off that mountain of transfiguration, we are invited to plumb the depths of our own sin, our own depravity, to look afresh at our lives, to invite the Lord to deliver us, to heal us, to shine the light of his Holy Spirit into the darkest corners of our lives, to repent that we might know at that last day the joy of his resurrection.
that we by faith and hope look forward to. In a few minutes, uh, we're going to have a chance to pray together. And um, some folks uh, asked for some healing prayer this morning. And, and so we want to actually create an opportunity and a time for anybody who would like to receive prayer. Uh, you know, we've been singing about God's glory. We've been singing about his transformation. And maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you need some healing um, of your insides that hurt. Maybe you're in a place in your life where you're wrestling with God on some things and you want to lay those at the foot of the cross. Maybe the Lord wants to heal some um, inner places where you've experienced pain and held on to it for a long time. And so as we were doing worship and whatnot, I felt like the Lord was confirming that uh, for us to do today. And so don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Don't be afraid to come and receive prayer. You can receive prayer in your seat, too. The Lord can touch you right there while I'm talking if he wants to, you know. But there's something about um, coming to the Lord and bringing ourselves uh, to him and before him. So if anybody also...